Hi there and welcome to Broadcast Interrupted. I'm Chirag and with me as always the wonderful Andy. <laughs> Hi Andy. We interrupt this broadcast to bring to you our episode with Isha Bhatt. Isha Bhatt is the director of product management at YouTube Commerce. She's based in San Francisco and for over 22 years now she has witnessed the beginnings and the rise of some of the biggest tech companies that we know and cherish even today she has been in a leadership position mm-hmm. in one of these companies for the past few years mm-hmm. and it what was very interesting about the conversation was how she described what it means to be a leader in one of these tech companies yep a lesser known fact however about isha is that she studied architecture as her majors in the same college where i completed my bachelor of architecture from in mumbai and that's where we got our conversation going right and yeah that's how we started yeah. yeah what did you think about the conversation with isha i i found it very very uh, helpful also for us to reflect on our background as architects especially because of the way she spoke about her basic foundational um study of architecture and how she feels very very importantly that it has informed her uh, perspective and the way she looks at technology products and uh, it has constantly helped her throughout her growth as a professional in yeah. in tech i think what the point that she really drove home is how design is so innately multidisciplinary isn't it oh yeah that's that's really well put yes definitely yeah well without uh keeping our audience any further let's get right into this conversation with isha bhat as always the conversation will be released in two parts please like share subscribe and most importantly let us know what you think hi so uh let's start with uh the fact that uh you are from the first batch that graduated from the same school where i studied architecture that is the kamla reja vidyanidhi institute of architecture and yeah. uh then you moved to the us did your masters and uh worked in big tech for 20 years how did that happen <laughs> yeah so i think it'll be interesting to touch upon being the first batch because yeah, yeah. there's a lot to do with being the first batch when we started college the building was a little bit under construction as well we had oh, classrooms okay. with desks mm-hmm. but we had to figure out every single thing in the classroom and i've seen the college now it's amazing but we pretty much had two or three studio rooms and that's it and bathrooms yeah. Yeah. and uh it was interesting because we had professors who were figuring out the curriculum we had of course sen kapadia who was the brain behind everything and at that point since we were the first batch he had so much liberty mm-hmm. and uh, so much that he could do with us so yeah. we had projects that were just out of the world and it didn't have have a precedence to follow right yeah which yeah. gave us a lot of creativity it pushed us to think beyond boundaries 
And almost together with the professors, we were creating that curriculum uh, or the foundation for the upcoming batches. Uh-huh. And then when I translate that experience to my career, I almost feel that that foundation of creativity, the foundation of setting a precedence, creating the curriculum, working hand in hand with the professors uh, gives you so much of depth yeah. and allows you to explore yourself beyond just the architecture curriculum. It's organization, it's teaching, it's uh, leading. Yeah. And uh, that's some, that, that spirit of that is something that has stayed with me and that has enabled me to change different roles, take on different different roles, but having that strong foundation of creativity and problem solving. Yeah, it sounds also like a, like a, not a crash course, but a really uh, foundational course on how to conceptualize not just architectural projects, but curriculum and how to direct yourself sort of, right? Exactly. Which would then and, and lead I'll to tell- a very strong leadership. Uh, sure. And I'll culture. tell you some simple things. Uh, which are funny, but uh, Hmm. typically uh, we had friends in JJ or Rachna or Raheja Uh and uh, something as simple as glass tracing in those days, you learn from your seniors. And we didn't have anyone to even tell us about that. So we we never did that for quite some time till someone figured out from their friend at those colleges that you could trace construction sheets. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Glass so, tracing. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. It's the yeah, underground I mean, scene of architecture exist. schools in yeah, India. Yeah. Yeah. So so or or uh, when you are making models of uh, mm, the yeah. different materials that you use, uh, if you have seniors, you see their projects, and then you can kind of figure out you're using balsa wood or cardboard or all these other things. But we didn't have anyone to learn from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was a lot of it that we just had to figure out. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't have the internet either at that point. This was 20 years ago, probably 20, yeah, 22 years ago. Yeah. Uh, and it was all self-discovery and discovering together as a team, as a group. Yeah. To, yeah. to your point about how it kind of helps you with leadership <laughs> is uh, two things. One is you, you're, you're leading yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the second is, as the next batches started coming in, we almost felt this responsibility of leading the other batches because we missed out on that leadership that we could get from our seniors. So, so it was it was a good learning. It was an amazing uh, experience. But then, what what was the library like? Did you have one already? Yeah, we curious. had a library. Literally, there were three or four cupboards with books okay okay not much not Not much much but i'm sure sen kapadia must have been really really picky with uh whatever his resources were and very very sharp in his uh, curation of the library yes and yeah we got a lot of books that he kind of i think we had a budget and he was uh very good with getting the books but the absence of the library made up with we had one-on-one time with him he right. spent uh, hours with us. He took us to his projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, he worked with us. And similarly with every single professor. 
we were the only batch. So we had all the attention and we could really kind of, what was nice was we could learn about their, the stories and mm -hmm. their careers and how they got to where they were, which was really interesting, which in a regular school, you don't have that much time yeah, with the professors. Yeah. yeah. How many students were there uh, in the same batch at that time? Like 40, the 44. 40. Ah, okay. Yeah, ah, 40 okay. 44. Yeah. That's more than my batch, actually. Yeah. Is oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for some reason, mine had 35. Yeah. And interestingly enough, we had 28 girls. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's continued. My class had yeah. uh, okay. 12 boys or something like that. We've always, I think, across my time of study also, we've always known that there were more girls across colleges in Bombay, at least. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, so... Uh, then we come to your time in the US. How does uh, this entire, uh, how do you start in? Wait, so so you graduated from KRVI. Yeah. What happened then? Oh, like, yeah, actually. Yeah. What happened then? <laughs> yeah. So, I, and then I was working with Nozer Vadia Associates okay. Okay. for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was just mind blowing. I don't know if any of you have seen his work. At least when I was working with him, he was into designing a lot of homes in Alibag. Mm, okay. And uh, some of the clients had commissioned him to do these amazing houses, which were organic, free form. Right. And yeah. uh, it was a very similar experience for me where mm -hmm. it was pushing the boundaries of the norms. Right. Mm -hmm. Very and, experimental. Uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of experimentation. We had a project where the client said, I don't want to cut any single tree. There were like 40 coconut trees. It was a farm plot. And he said, I don't want to uh, cut any single tree, build a house around the trees. Yeah. So working through that, pouring concrete on every single wall that is a curved wall was fascinating. And as a young graduate, you're like, oh my God, like I never even thought this could be possible. You know, you're yeah. always worried about structure and what if the tree falls and trying to be safe. Yeah, this is but good this sustainability before sustainability was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. And it was another thing where it was, you know, there's no, nothing wrong. You cannot fail and it's okay to fail. Right. Mm -hmm. So those were the things that they get started when you're working at sort of Nozarvadia. Uh, Did you make yeah. working drawings? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, oh, wow. a lot of working drawings, <laughs> a lot of uh, drafting. Yeah, nice. Fun oh, fact. hand drafting. Yeah, yeah oh, hand wow. drafting. It was yeah. all hand drafting. No yeah. computers. Oh, okay. This is where the generation gap hits us. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm probably amazing myself too. <laughs> no, you look great. Yeah. Um, so then uh, we... You worked at Nozawadia for how long? How many years was it? I think it was the internship, the last six months when you're okay. doing your architecture and probably another year or so. Okay, so that was all right about that much time. And then uh, as per your profile, it reads that then you did your master's in industrial design in the US. Yeah, yeah. And uh, how did, like, what was the, so why would you choose industrial design from doing architecture? Like, after yeah, so that's, uh, you know, working with Nozer, it was um, really interesting because he he paid attention to detail 
mm-hmm. and to every single thing that they did. Like furniture, a lot of times you would be like, I'm going to design the own furniture. I'm going to do doorknobs, like yeah. very picky and very detail oriented. And mm-hmm. industrial design in my mind was a path to kind of get to the next level where you could do your building, but at mm-hmm. the same time, you can go deeper into product design. So yeah. the goal was to start doing product design. So it's more of an inclusive yeah. experience yeah. that I thought, I mean, I could provide. Yeah, it's like so a it's holistic idea of design. design. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, and, and little did I know that when I joined this program, uh, there were so many facets. And this is again, like in 98. So mm-hmm. there were so mm-hmm. many facets that I wasn't aware of growing up mm-hmm. in India. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's exhibit design, there's graphic design, there's uh, interaction design, yeah. signage. And yeah. uh, that was just like there's so many possibilities mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, again coming back to architecture having that strong architecture education which i think right now i mean yes we spend a lot of time but it's, but it's a little bit underrated people don't realize what it gives you mm-hmm. uh, and I, I can talk a little bit more about that later on but having that education i was like anything is possible as yeah. long as you have the concepts of design problem solving and you understand your customer needs any of these fields that you saw would be open to all of us yeah because i think after that you start working at rediff as your first uh job right out of industrial design uh, uh, which is a website (laughs) and uh like you just mentioned that once you understand what is design all about or how you can design you can there are the the possibilities are endless so do you want to walk us through a little bit of uh, what the whole rediff uh, uh, project was like like what were you sure. doing there yeah yeah so that was a little bit of an accident because i was not ready to move back to india yet mm-hmm. and no architecture firm was ready to sponsor my h1 Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, so it yeah. was a little bit of a yeah. visa issue. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, what can I do so that I can make some money and continue staying here? Okay. And at some point I'll get back to architecture, which never happened. Yeah. But uh, so, as I said, through my master's, I had picked up a lot of skills on graphic design, like Photoshop, Illustrator, and had worked as some side gigs just to make some money on the side, on websites. And mm-hmm. that was also when the internet was just kind of going crazy yeah. in about 2000. Yeah. So uh, I got a job at Rediff. The goal was to be their graphic designer and their web designer, designing their website. And it was interesting, like we were moving from newspapers, which you actually physically held, mm-hmm. to yeah. digital. Yes, absolutely. And so the challenge was, how can you get all of this information, like the front page of the newspaper on that website page? Yeah. And I don't know, you probably don't remember or know about this, but there was also, how do you monetize it? Yeah. Like yes. who's going to pay for this website? So then all these flashy banner ads and advertisements started on the internet. So it was, it was nice a very interesting project to figure out how do you get the news to the 
users or the readers uh-huh. and monetize it and have enough dignity with the ads that you're placing right yeah. so that it's not intrusive yeah and then yeah. with that comes a lot of things that again again kind of drawing parallels with industrial design and architecture is who are your users Mm-hmm. because when you start looking at the users and the audience you start breaking them into different demographics or different uh sec- segments and you see the users who live in the US who have yeah. faster internet the users who are accessing it from India because Rediff is an Indian site and then the internet is really slow so the time that the site takes to load yeah. like you don't want the person to just close the browser and go away so you want that reader Mm-hmm. and also the kinds of information like how do you place the information the hierarchy of information right uh, yeah. so that you you can divert the users to the information that they are looking for easily and mm-hmm. have more of their time on the website mm. so yeah. very similar principles but it's this is the first time i was moving from the offline design principles and translating them to online Mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. the whole aspect of accessibility also comes in uh about the contrast white uh text on black background or black text on white background and how can you make users who are lesser abled or who cannot hear or visually impaired how can you still make them or offer them a new site which yeah. is quite fundamental did you have um uh... But the I'm just curious are our Rediff surprised that there's an architect at our doorstep asking for a job? Yeah so uh, and this is throughout my career is like okay you're an architect what are you doing in software? <laughs> yeah. Like why are you like how does this even work? Yeah. So I think there are a few things and I I I think this is again very very underrated. Uh when i was thinking about it if you see software now there's a role software architect right yeah and what does that mean that means the person who is the mastermind of the technology mastermind and you really call it an architecture blueprint that's the word that we use uh when you create a blueprint for a product mm-hmm. and uh yeah. so it's it's almost translated and that kind of tells you the importance of the role of an architect because uh you are the mastermind of the building or house or interiors whatever you're designing you're looking at every single aspect of it mm-hmm. and when it translates to digital or software it's very similar mm-hmm. so so and then and then also as i said uh design and problem solving and organizing information hierarchy of information all of those are very fundamental concepts that we've learned and we've mastered so it was quite easy for me to translate that into the digital world but that question always comes up it's a, a i'm guessing you're always ready with an explanation about how conceptually they are similar and uh, yeah in, i had to fact, i had to plan that because otherwise it's it, it wasn't easy for me to get a job yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it almost sounds spatial in a way i mean of course a physical newspaper is a uh, is has yes. its own way of being used but once you go into the digital 
links, how are they going to open and how that space is going to show up while it loads yeah. and all yeah. of that. It sounds very spatial. No, no, I also think it's a it's a time where uh, so a lot of us were just breaking into teenage at that point of time. So Rediff Mail was our first email IDs with all those uh, very weird exactly. football genius at redifmail.com I don't know and some right. <laughs> uh, weird weird kind of names but I think uh, it's also that time when you are working on the back end of something uh, which has which doesn't have again a precedence you know like yeah. within your architecture education there has been no mm. uh, precedence and then within Rediff Mail also because I mean yes they started the website but I think a there must have been many first time problems that were arriving, no? Like many first times, like, oh, we have to, this is the first time that we have to figure out a video embedding, video or embedding into the website. This is of the first time. Totally. We are novices. To totally. This. Yeah. yeah. Or GIFs. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. you know, animated GIFs and how do we reduce the load of it and how do we let it render faster? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that becomes your kind of foundation into tech, your time at Revit. And uh, then we Rediff, see... Rediff, Rediff. sorry. Yeah. Did I say Reddit? Revit, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Revit? Yeah, it's uh, all right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a weekday, guys. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. We're still in, uh, still in a zone. Um, but what I wanted to really say is... Uh, and then from there... Uh, let me put it this way. It sounds also to be a time where the only other really global uh, thing is Hollywood in terms of culturally understanding. Of course, internet wasn't a cultural object per se back then. So it wasn't on all the continents. It wasn't as ubiquitous as it is today. But it, mm -hmm. the only other global thing before that was, uh, let's say, Hollywood where every corner you know the kite runner mentions uh john wayne movies uh, so from that you move into something that is for the first time a public platform uh that uh, is a global bank that each person can access uh, not a bank but a, a sort of money uh, yeah. handling thing uh, system that each person can access from their home what was that like what, did it did it feel like you were working somewhere that is actually going to be as big as it is now or that's paper so right? i started with ebay first ah, okay for a very short time mm -hmm. and uh that was a dream for me because you know you hear, you see this marketplace the first oh, right. marketplace and you're like oh my god like how does this happen how do they connect thousands of buyers and sellers on like antiques and goods and it's almost like uh this culmination of uh what what we were used to in the bazaar right. in india and this is all online and like how do they do it yeah. so <clears throat> i joined them and uh, at that point what uh, we were working on is kind of a search engine for products. Mm -hmm. So you could search for Nikon D40 and we would show you images, user reviews, 
everything possible, similar to what Amazon is today, kind of, but it was a, supposed to be a search engine. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I was hired for. And when I went for the interview, honestly, I did not think I would even get the job because I had <laughs> nothing. I mean, I had just worked at Reddit for one or two years and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to get this job doing a search engine. And uh, I got the job before when I drove home, they called me, I was in the car and they're like, yeah, let's talk about the next steps and when can you start? So it nice. was uh, yeah. super cool to kind of get into that. And then when that's when actually I would say officially onboarding into the tech world started. Oh. Because I, I mean, yes, Rediff was technology, but this is where I was working with like search scientists and scientists who were trying to figure out the algorithm of how do you uh, optimize a... figure yeah how do you optimize a search engine and how do you build a search engine and i was i would say i was the only designer on that team everything wow. everyone was an engineer <laughs> and uh, which was really interesting because i brought a lot of value from the design perspective but for me personally it was just like absorbing all of this uh data and the knowledge that they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And then from uh, there, I moved on to PayPal, which uh-huh, was, yeah. again, <clears throat> a slightly different space as in the financial space. Yeah. But at that point, I transitioned into product management. Oh, and okay. So... Which, is, which is interesting because till date, if I have to explain to my parents what does product management mean, they will not get it. <laughs> They're like, what is your product? Because it's abstract, right? Like right, when you yeah, say you're a product true. manager for a website or a product or an app, yeah. the question is, what do you do? Yeah. And uh, product management is not a discipline that is taught in any school or college. It's You see product managers coming in from all kinds of backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, engineering is a lot of them, but business, um, analytics, so you see, it's it's a community that's very diverse from their background perspective. Mm-hmm. And as a role, there are a lot of times we define that role as the CEO of the product. So you are the buck stops at you. You are mm-hmm. figuring out what gets shipped to the end user. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes people even say you are the curator of the art gallery because you're curating the product. Mm-hmm. And you're you're getting it ready to be displayed. Yeah. So uh, yeah, there are a lot of different ways you could describe product management, but uh, that's when I kind of at PayPal I started uh, doing product management, and uh, it was it was interesting because the if you see kind of from graphic designer to user interface designer to product management, what I was aiming to do was, or my ambition was to get a more holistic perspective mm-hmm. of the end product. So mm-hmm. as a graphic designer, you're just working on the graphics. Of course, you're part of a lot of conversations, but the accountability is you're responsible for the design work. Yeah. As a user interface or user interaction designer, you're working with the engineers and the graphic designer to determine how should things behave and how should things work when users interact with it. And then as a product manager, you're looking at all of these disciplines 
And you're the one understanding the user requirements, mm -hmm. understanding the business requirements, and translating all of that to your designers and engineers and launching that product. And then you're working with the analysts to figure out how is the product working? Is it successful? Is it not, not successful? Is it meeting the business metrics? What else can we do? Mm -hmm. And that role, again, it's very similar to being an architect because yeah. you're the one who's talking to the client, right? That are your users. Mm -hmm. What do you want? What is your dream house or dream building? And what do you want to get out of it? Yeah. Who's going to use it? How? Yeah, right. And then you kind of translate those requirements into your concept sketches or your mm -hmm. uh, drawings. And then kind of you work with all the services to kind of ensure that that vision or that dream comes to life. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's exactly what my job was. And there seems to be also a parallel between. Uh, so we often, even today, even with how much information is available to learn, uh, we're sort of always, as architects, uh, superficially familiar with everything, right? Yeah. A client shows up and says, I need a house, okay? We're going to kind of learn about what, your lifestyle. Another client shows up and says, "You, I need you to design a bank. And I'm like, okay, we're going to try and learn a little bit about how a bank totally. works and what you need. And everything is like from a distance. But I have a feeling... And I'm sorry, completely missed eBay when I asked you the question, but it's really important here that you're learning a new kind of retail and a new kind of, maybe not finance, but a new kind of fintech, right? Financial yes. technology. And how I just wanted to ask, how, how deep do you have to go from the surface in the digital world? Yeah. Because in the physical we know very well we have to take care of the walls and the desks and the paint and yes, of course, the aesthetics, the effects, uh, yeah. the functioning, the you know all the other aspects. But we never have to worry about whether this bank is going to make a loss because of us, because that's probably at least not directly, you know. Right. But right. you kind of have to. And how how much deeper are you going from the surface than in that case? So I would say domain knowledge is mm -hmm. very important. It is okay. really important to understand how things work because as you said, the risk is very high. Right. Mm -hmm. And also, um, I mean, the risk is really high because it all happens in a fraction of a second. Like a fraud mm -hmm. can happen and it's the end of it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So from that perspective, you need to be extra cautious and you need to kind of go really deep. But the good part is that there are enough specialists who you can work with and enough technical people who you can work with. Mm -hmm. The What you need to know is what do you need to ask for? Okay. What are the questions you need to ask? So risk, uh, details on, let's say, money movement or uh, with the technicalities. You need right. to kind of really kind of understand it at the core level to be able to design. Mm -hmm. The good part is with digital, there is experimentation. So at PayPal at one time, we had 20, 30, maybe even more experiments running in each country. Yeah. Wow. So you can actually see how users 
are reacting and using what you have built yeah and if it's working as anticipated or not and change it almost live yeah yeah live in real time everything is in real so, time so that Perfect. is the beauty of it and of course i mean you kind of the way many now this it's very sophisticated but when we started with it first you start with focus groups so you kind of really try and understand a wide variety of users what's important to them what's not important to them and distill that information then we would draw mocks similar to making models yeah. and actually have they weren't working but they were just like screenshots or images and then we would bring users and ask them to react to it and simple things like look at this page the home page let's say for reader for any other site mm-hmm. take the page down what do you remember so oh. then that tells you oh, wow <laughs> things that you wanted them to see is it mm-hmm. on top of mind or not or have you missed something in your design mhm then you built a working prototype just a click through and then we asked them to kind of click through and see if the most uh, common path that you had expected the users to take through is working and they're not failing at that task for example yeah. it's uh, create an account yeah is it easy enough for even a 50 year old or 80 year old grandma to create that account mm mm-hmm. uh so these are all offline things and then when you kind of really go live there's so many permutations combinations that you can test so so i'd say so that's one part now coming back to your question the other thing is when you design a bank or a library mm-hmm. you really need to do so much research into cataloging like yeah. you don't know how a library is cataloged you really need to figure out how will it be cataloged how will people how will people check out Mm-hmm. like now checkout is just scanning a barcode like where should i be placing the barcodes what is the norm what is the speed at which the checkout should work how many people check out in an hour in 10 minutes what are the peak times is there enough space for so many people to stand here and check out if they need mm-hmm. help who are they going to call so you're actually thinking through all of that even when you're building uh a building right yeah 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 So the kind of and and then you kind of look at library experts or bank experts and you really sit down and talk to them with yeah. a bank you're really kind of thinking about security like safe deposit vault like right. it should be yeah. at the last corner of the building or what who there might be specialists who've just designed that mm-hmm. right so yeah. you do bring in all these folks the only difference with digital is all of them are sitting around you yeah and they are sort of yeah they yeah. they yeah. and that's uh that's quite a change across yeah no industries totally. i guess yeah and i think actually you know you mentioned that uh, when you started working at um, ebay uh, or at paypal one of these two when oh actually ebay you said that for you it was uh, yes you entered there as the only designer in this team whereas there were all these experts around you and for you it was like a space where you were like oh i need to absorb so much and try to get uh, so many ideas but i am pretty sure um that even i mean the reverse was also true no like when you say like when you are the only designer i'm pretty sure those people yeah. are also on a day to day basis getting surprised like oh there's someone telling us that 
this banner should not come here because you know it's not going to attract enough attention the way or we want behavior. or yeah. behavior and yeah. you know all those analyzing those things yeah. i guess what i'm trying to ask is when we have such technical experts what is it that they don't sort of think about when it comes to designing of things or just the appearance yeah. of things because there is so much that they are doing at the back and right yeah. right and and so i think uh you know there's a book inmates are running the asylum it's okay. it's a very old book uh but that is where it was referring to engineers of course with all due respect to engineers yeah. who were trying to design mm-hmm. and when engineers are trying to design of course they're trying to make the product technically so superior but so that it's like geeked out product but from a user perspective unless you understand all those nuances you might not be able to use it the best mm-hmm. so yeah i mean i have a very good friend i'm i'm not going to name anyone but we were designing a payment thing and i would be like uh, it's about the cbv number ah, yeah, right. i don't know yeah. if you guys know and yeah, yeah. now of course everyone knows what it is but at that point we just had a feel enter cbv number now i was like who would know what is cvv like we have to show a diagram and show how do we enter the information what do you otherwise find? yeah it's no one's going to know about it and we had such a long debate about it such a small thing but i was like i insisted that we have to show a graphic image okay otherwise it's not going to work wow that and then i think <laughs> the other big thing is you know uh design is very subjective it's very subjective because it's how each one perceives the space or each one perceives a visual so a lot of people scan a lot of people are looking at details and the best thing i thought was yes there are guiding principles that we follow mm-hmm. but then getting user testing and getting users to actually react to it mm-hmm. and get mm-hmm. more data was the fastest and the quickest way to move forward yeah I think also uh, you mentioned working at PayPal and then you moved to working at uh, Volvo shortly after. Mm. This is uh, I, how we read it is that it is a move from um, a digital space to a sort of uh, physical space. No, the the cars have to be actually produced and uh, things. So, uh, but I also feel that. something like paypal has a lot of physical aspects to it you know like the fiber optic cable for instance that it has to be you said no there were these experiments happening the this is also the time when the internet is actually being set up no because it's yeah. actually being sent to every part of the world and things what was that uh, negotiation like or was there something around it that was uh, that that you can highlight in terms of the digital space itself but it had it was you can say like uh, it had such physical boundaries or like there were these things that were catching it the digital was it was not a boundless space you know what i'm trying to say in a way yeah yeah so not so much. i mean there, there are a lot of specialists who actually do that yeah but uh, things like when we are launching a campaign and we are actually looking at the server space yeah like how many users can we have at a time yeah uh and the, when we launched campaigns like we launched a super bowl campaign and we were all monitoring and we had to make sure that we could it could, we could take the load of the number of users coming 
in. Yeah. So we had to deal with that, but uh, there are a lot of technical folks that actually deal with that. Um, not so much of the physical space. The physical space that we had to think about with PayPal is if you wanted to um, connect your phone at a store and mm -hmm. allow you to transact just by scanning a code mm -hmm. and then walk off. So how would that work? Mm -hmm. And uh, think about all the cases where if it goes through, if it doesn't go through, the line gets backed up. And where should we have these machines? Uh, so a lot of physicality in store. Right, right, right. It works as a completely different uh, ecosystem because on the other, on one hand, it seems as if the, I mean, we brought up Volvo, but the, the simplest analogy is, uh, you have a if you basically produce too many cars you have a storage problem right yeah. and uh, yeah. and you don't generate the right sales you have a storage problem but with the digital you squeeze that problem and you've sort of really reduced the real estate problem yeah. because I think server uh, farms can, can be expanded especially yeah. if the internet originates in the US and there's a lot of empty land yeah. and it's a pretty big uh, country. Um, how do you, how have you seen this, not just metaphysically, but how do you see this uh, difference? Because let's say as a, as a foundation, you trained about the, the real world. And from this, we want to go into your work at Volvo, sort of, especially with data. But how do you see this? Uh, after 20 years of uh, being in, in this field, almost 20 years at least before Volvo, and how do you see this difference? Because in in human history, this is quite a big deal to move everything onto, let's say, the clouds as we call it today. How do you see this it's, shift? It's, it's very interesting. I think it's happened pretty fast as well. Like when you see the evolution of technology and stuff. Like when you think about cars, mm -hmm. to get to the first car, it took quite some time. There's an evolution. Right. Right. And now when you think about from since when we all know about the internet till what we can do on the internet now. Yeah. Like you don't you don't need to step out of your house. You don't need to do yeah. anything physically. Everything can happen with clicks on your app or your phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so that has been really, like it's fast and it's, I think the next generation and probably you guys are some of them is the adoption to that is very seamless. It's almost like the next generations are wired yeah. Yeah. to be that way. And the one thing that we didn't talk about, but it's interesting is through the last few years on the internet, on the digital space, uh, initially there was, culture played a big role. Culture and the way people perceive things. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So I had seen this study uh, at IIT where, this is right in the beginning of the internet. If you remember, there was an hourglass that would load. Right, yeah. Uh, it would yeah. go back and forth. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of a sign that things are loading. Uh -huh, and yeah. someone had done this similar uh, experiment with some kids in Mumbai. Mm -hmm. And they thought it was a dumb rule. 
they said damru pajraya or something <laughs> and uh, it was just eye opening to see how things that you uh, design for are perceived yeah or understanding the problems of different cultures uh, so even at paypal when we were designing for a, a, like it's a global company we're designing for a lot of countries the way transmittance or remittance works in some of the smaller towns of latam is mm-hmm. very different where people have to take a bus to uh, get that money and then if you have the otp or something that is messed up you spend your whole day that you've taken off from your farm mm-hmm. or wherever mm-hmm. uh, you have to go back and come back again mm-hmm. and that is huge that is crazy or uh, if you think about india and china they ha- a lot of folks in india and china don't have an email address but they have mm-hmm. a phone number yeah. so so i mean they have the, the whole concept of having an email inbox is just passed yeah because they've just used their phones and whatsapp yeah yeah so so things are moving at a different pace and at, in different countries people are using technology uh, so differently to their convenience Mm-hmm. and a few years ago it was like you know things come from the west and that's where the innovation happens that's where uh, things are kind of on the leading front but now when you see some of these developing countries there's so much innovation and creativity because maybe a gap or maybe that's what's enabled for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like the whole innovation happening on the phones in india is crazy like both software and hardware oh? yeah 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 and i mean you don't need to buy a $1000 phone you can buy a simpler phone or whatever and you can do everything on that mm-hmm. yeah yeah and it's easy or so maybe it's easy enough for the, everyone to use it or everyone has figured out how mm-hmm. to make it work for them yeah yeah which uh in in Uh, like it was harder to get people to use hotmail or yahoo mail or anyone at some point but think about the phone it's a computer at on your fingertips yeah and pretty much everyone has it yeah yeah it kind of moved uh, so there are obviously a, a range of scales at which um mm-hmm. the digital world affects societies right like somebody losing a whole day because of an otp mishap uh while somebody mm, not being able to access a whole financial ecosystem because they never heard of an email address but they they manage almost um a very wide range of activities on on their cellular devices right totally and um this this world when uh what i want to point at is something very interesting that you mentioned that there was this clear sender receiver relationship between the west and you know large parts of the world whether it's the emerging economies mm-hmm. or even to some extent here in europe a lot of stuff just was coming straight from north america it wasn't being uh worked upon here in the way that it was being worked upon in in silicon valley i can't think of a quick silicon valley uh comparison here in europe either uh A, play, a real place where such stuff happens now in this relationship of the sender receiver now sort of 
being muddied and disturbed where locally people are taking care of some of their own issues you know if cell phones are too expensive somebody comes up with one that's cheaper and can use um can be bought by the locals um and this is happening all over the world um how do you see because this is a little bit about volvo your your work at volvo as a chief data officer there how do you see um the data that volvo receives from its the source is the car right any usage statistics mm-hmm. or if it's research about uh, the real world for self driving cars whatever data is being uh, recorded or mm-hmm. u- received by volvo how does it then see it because it it may not be able to predict an a, an innovation in how roads might be designed in let's say pune in yeah. in 5 years it cannot predict that but it's probably looking at it right or yes. or is it yes yeah yeah so my transition to volvo was uh, to start an e-commerce product for them mm-hmm. where okay. we wanted to it's a product is already live it's called care by volvo it's mm. a subscription for a car so just like oh, a netflix really? subscription you can subscribe to a car month to okay. month all included your insurance uh service everything and no questions asked you can go and return it at the end of your subscription in some okay. countries actually in germany is doing really well uh, oh okay hmm. probably we've come down to 3 months subscription uh we started with a year or 3 years in based on the country and now we've come down to 3 months and okay. uh, it's working really well and again it was interesting because we wanted to launch this subscription for the urban population mm-hmm. and yeah. thinking that you know it'll be that was a hypothesis but now when you kind of think about it people in urban areas don't want cars right yeah so yeah so it's it's an ongoing evolution and then um i moved on to uh doing uh leading the data team Mm-hmm. and to your question about how all this data is being collected so think about it as now each car is a computer mm-hmm. that's traveling hundreds of miles per month mm-hmm. and we are col- collecting all this data so there are a few challenges to kind of think about what is the right data to collect mm-hmm and why to collect and so to begin with of course safety is a big part especially for a company like volvo so yeah. uh, any data with collision that helps with safety is going to mm-hmm. be prioritized to ensure that the cars are safe uh second is of course the ambition to to be autonomous so yeah. then we are collecting data to kind of or having algorithms for the car to understand through the cameras uh objects and spaces around them to be able to figure out how how can we train the machine to be autonomous mm-hmm. and as we kind of get further out into autonomous driving i think that is going to influence the planning of cities yeah a lot mm-hmm. uh both in terms of the scale like how wide should a road be or how narrow should it be because now it's all uh autonomous and you don't the room for errors is very the precision very is high low. yeah precision yeah. is yeah. high yeah yeah 
So, so then maybe it's okay to have more space for sidewalks or is it, or maybe there's a bike lane or the levels between the bike lane, the sidewalk and the street have to be a certain height. So it's intuitive enough for the car to understand not to go there so that the camera can see the depth. Or even uh, how, so, so that is the physical aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other big aspect that I think will change is the um, aspect of traffic lights and signals and uh, technology around that. Because uh, right now, you know how you have synchronized traffic lights and a lot of that. With more information coming from the cars, mm-hmm. a lot of the traffic patterns could become more consistent and uh, that could evolve as well. With artificial angel yeah. intelligence. Yeah. yeah. And and so also, I mean, the vision that most car companies have, and this is kind of uh, really cool, is each car becomes a computer or it will be a computer mm-hmm. that's sharing information back so that things can be safer and you can be autonomous. But then each car will be sharing information with other cars. So like car sourcing. Constantly, yeah. Yeah. So just like crowdsourcing, they're they're sharing data with each other to predict, oh, there's snow. But I mean, the information takes time to come in because there are like 10 cars ahead of me and they've predicted a storm 100 miles from here and I'm getting that signal. So I'm going to figure out a different route to go Mm -hmm. or I'm not going to go. So a lot of that is going to change and it's going to become pretty mechanical at some point. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing that we are realizing with this is really interesting is as a lot of this information is coming in and when you think about biases on that. So with autonomous driving, there was a research that happened and uh, to figure out when people are crossing the road, kind of gauging the depth, height, speed, and then training the car to avoid that. Mm-hmm. So so the test happened with average-sized human beings. It was mm. fine. The minute there was a shorter person or a taller person or a dog, the car could not understand that. Mm-hmm. And then take it a step further, a lot of these tests had happened on white people. Mm. Okay. So the perception was different when there was a black person crossing the road. And no one had thought about it because the folks who were training the model were all white. And the folks who were part of the experiment were all white. So so these are biases that uh, have happened. I mean, they've kind of come through digital for the longest time. Like when you think about the innovation of the mouse, the right-click mouse was invented first. No one thought about a left-click mouse. And then they were like, oh, yeah, what do left-handers uh, you do? <laughs> yeah. And then we kind of follow. So just uh, it depends on who's designing. So uh, with autonomous driving, now when we are testing at a larger scale, uh, we are realizing the biases that were built in when the technology had just started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also very interesting that there is a... Uh, there is a uh, it it it's like this sort of you know uh, a baby taking its step it's stumbling because you say that there is experiments happening in 20 or 30 different countries at the same time trying to understand uh, 
a particular culture and then how uh, this particular product whatever it may be the car the paypal product yeah. or whatever that has to get uh, uh, adapted to that particular culture and then at the same time you you look at it and you see this sort of um gaze of uh, like who's actually designing it you know like uh, th- and then these kind of failures that happen i wouldn't call them failures but i would call them like these uh, new things that you keep yeah. learning yeah learnings uh, th- what is the thrust of this um, within tech within big tech where how how much of market understanding how much of people understanding how much of cultural understanding does it does it do because you know it's a lot it's a lot and it's it's just going to get more and more and that that's the one reason why diversity and inclusion is so important yeah because everyone is realizing the more diverse people we have and this is way beyond gender it's yeah. about your tradition your culture how you think what's your educational background what's your sexual orientation just every single thing because then you're thinking about or you're being inclusive in design about mm. everyone who's going to be using yeah and at, at the scale at which which some of these products are going to be used you need that you just need that diversity so you have voices of different people talking about uh the experiences but also in the design phase when you're kind of sharing designs it's important for people to think from the left brain and right brain and the mm. individual experiences yeah. to really make that design strong and usable right like the right. end goal is how can this be a very usable product yeah right but what kind of expertise does big tech look at when it comes to getting its information about culture do you have anthropologists on your team yeah okay yeah there's that there is a lot of uh, in country teams okay that are looking at how does how do people use certain things mm-hmm. and uh, i mean I, i don't remember any examples but i thought i mean there were ways in which you take a product to a, sim- a country and they would use it completely differently like that damru example was one right yeah where you could not imagine how people would use it mm-hmm. i think another yeah. way to kind of think about it is um when you think of uh, the music genre uh, the one in gully boy Uh, rap hip hop yeah, rap. rap sorry yeah. yes i was completely blanking out mm-hmm. yeah. yeah the way rap is being used by the masses in india mm-hmm. like we didn't think about that but uh it's there everywhere yeah so people are using different things in in a very personalized way and i think that's another area where a lot of big tech is looking at personalization so mm-hmm. even for cars uh simple personalization like seat height and seat length and all of that is fine but when you start connecting your phones and your car becomes your office and it's just a machine mm-hmm. uh how can the dash be personalized to you or the screen be personalized to you or your spouse or your child sitting and how can you have that comfort of yeah this is my 
it's personalized for me. Yeah. 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 I think we are also asking this. I think Chirag's question was really important also because we as usual as architects we are the last to go somewhere right we are the last to begin using software we are the last to uh, figure out uh, even um, uh, social reform or labor reforms within our fields you know the last people who are going to make sure every construction worker has hats and yes. there are controversies about the Qatar World Cup where people are dying and all of that yeah. and um, with with data and especially the kind that you have worked with i think we chirag and i often talk about do we really know our cities we know everything in yeah. fragments right yeah. we don't have unless is there another way except for fitting sensors in every damn building in the world is there another way to know our cities and this yeah. to us is very interesting that big tech is receiving all kinds of data yes that uh, goes across uh, scales you're picking up data on street usage on traffic right. i mean yeah. i'm sure there's someone at tesla saying uh, we cannot launch in mumbai very easily at least not the version that has a certain lower range of totally. drivability because totally. the traffic jams will kill the car Yeah. or you know the slow moving yeah. traffic the guy probably doesn't get home every evening uh, yeah. and the battery breaks down and this kind totally. of data is being concentrated so i'll get to my question also i mean i just wanted to sort of clarify mm-hmm. how uh, we are coming to you with this um is is it how much of it is going back to chirag's question how much of it is uh institutional Because that is something, let's say, yes. as Indians or even even in this ecosystem, there are of course institutions of great repute in in Europe, also in India. But how much are universities, American universities, still playing a part that is very very direct, or are you waiting for these brilliant graduates to first graduate, and then yeah. uh, you pick them up, or I don't know. like all the famous but really uh, uh anecdotal stories about oh all the geniuses drop out of university are you making them drop out or like <laughs> these minds how does it work are you working with university groups and research uh, think tanks within institutions because that's an ecosystem that the US is far ahead yeah flat yeah. like there there is no comparison anywhere in yes. terms of innovation yeah. and people almost always underestimate how important that part is because it's not just about a genius mind but you're going to need a lot of people a lot of infrastructure that can be let's say democratized can be a public good yeah how does that yeah. work so, from I mean, the tech perspective a lot of universities a lot of universities uh for some of these projects and a lot of these projects are thesis projects or projects that the students have come up with mm-hmm. and they sound like really good ideas and like okay we'll we'll help you and we'll partner with you and we'll share information and bring you in the wings to kind of get this project out and then if it works we kind of share the knowledge mm-hmm. and kind of take mm-hmm. it forward 
in the US on the cities, there's a lot of stuff going on. Because if, I mean, earlier they were saying we'll be autonomous by 2020 or 2025. Now we are pushing it out 10 more years or five more years till 2030. Okay. Because infrastructure is not ready to receive it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So from an infrastructure perspective, the government is actively working on what would cities mean when wow. everything is autonomous? Yeah. Like, what do we need in the city? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yes, when the traffic lights are working, it's fine. If the traffic lights don't work, how will how will things work if there's no driver sitting in front? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a partnership with uh, institutions, uh, colleges, the city, and some of these companies who are pushing technology. Mm-hmm. Um, on the data side, like when we have sensors in the city and stuff, I think we have enough data. Mm-hmm. Oh, we are collecting enough data, I would say. Mm-hmm. There are cameras every single place, right? Like now there are cameras everywhere. So there's enough data being collected. The challenge is how do we prioritize this data? How do we understand this data? Mm-hmm. And how do we bring this data back to the infrastructure in some of the cities like Mumbai? Yeah. to really kick in change mm-hmm. or design the city to account for what we are learning. Mm-hmm. From the data, right? Yeah. yeah. And it'll happen. I, I mean, I'm quite hopeful because uh, 10 years ago, the way Google Maps worked in Mumbai was a challenge. Right. I know yeah. making maps work in Indian cities or South Asian cities or even LATAM cities is impossible because it's like, over mandir ke paas left turn low, right? Like, yeah. what's the map going to tell you? But now the maps are pretty accurate. They figured yeah. it out. It's taken mm-hmm. a while, but they figured it out. So I'm quite hopeful that even with the cities, uh, we'll figure out the data and we'll get the cities to get more organized or whatever our goal is. And I think that's the other thing. Like, I think we have to be clear on what is our goal? What do we want to do with this data? Create more order create safety, create uh, more green space, uh, recreation area. So I think with the data, we'd have to kind of figure out what is a priority and then start leveraging that data to solve them. Mm -hmm. 